the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. inerrant, infallible word, our holy Bible, stands as an eternal lighthouse in a decaying world. This worldwide independent radio ministry outreach of the Bible stands is dedicated to the proclaiming of the great truths of scripture for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, here is our Bible expositor, Wayne Carver. Welcome to today's broadcast of the Bible Stands. It's so good to greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. I'm glad you've joined us for today's Bible study. Today, I'd like to begin a study that is particularly appropriate for this time of the year. I call this study, The Powers of Darkness. As we approach this season of witches and goblins, many of God's people have their attention drawn to the rapidly spreading interest in the occult that is encompassing the world. There is a great increase in witchcraft and Satanism. Is the world facing a real danger from this increase in occultism? Let's open today's study by reading Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. One of the most amazing developments in our day, in this supposedly enlightened age, is the tremendous revival of interest in activities dealing with the occult. Witchcraft, seances, magic, fortune-telling, and astrology for many years were limited primarily to geographical regions where it was generally agreed that ignorance and superstition prevailed. In these present times, however, we find that our newspapers, our television, and our highly respected national magazines feature articles that discuss prominent people who claim that they've received personal messages from the spirits of those who have died. Those who have indicated an ability to foretell the future are also the objects of much personal interest. In our own country of the United States of America, within a very few short years, we've seen the art of penetration of the unseen world become a big business, one that is exciting the imaginations of thousands. Dealing with the occult has become a respected occupation. Let me point out that the informed Christian should not be surprised by this recent upsurge in interest in the world of the unseen. He knows that there are many mysteries in God's world which the scientist just cannot analyze and which the most brilliant human being cannot explain within the realm of the natural. The true Christian understands, both from God's word and from his own daily experiences, that an innumerable, invisible host of evil beings is waging war against God and his people. He also understands that these evil beings sometimes work through human agents. In fact, the Bible repeatedly warns believers that they are daily engaged in an intense spiritual battle against a well-organized army of intelligent, supernatural spirit creatures. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies. 
in spite of the tendency of our so-called enlightened society to downgrade belief in an unseen spirit world populated by demons, the Bible informs us clearly that these evil spirits not only exist, but that they exercise tyrannical control over this world. They oppose God, they seek to defeat Christians, and behind the scenes, they manipulate unregenerate men to make them increasingly hostile to the gospel message. It's always advantageous to know something about one's enemy, and we as Christians should search the scriptures for information concerning the identity, the nature, and the activity of these evil spirits. The Greek scholar, Dr. Kenneth W. Wiest, in his expanded translation of the New Testament, renders Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 as follows. Because our wrestling is not against blood and flesh, but against the principalities, against the authorities, against the world rulers of this darkness, against spirit forces of perniciousness in the heavenly places. The principalities, the authorities, the world rulers of this darkness, and spirit forces of perniciousness are all descending orders of ranks in this organized army of spirit personalities. The highly organized host of invisible, wicked beings arrayed against God and God's people all operate under the leadership of one supreme director who is known in scripture by various names, among which are Satan and the devil. The adversary, which is what, what the word Satan actually means, was originally a high angelic creature, but he led a rebellion against God, which is described by Isaiah in these words. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. The devil, or Satan, along with the horde of evil angels that followed him, was cast out from the third heaven. It's his kingdom of wicked angels or demons with which Christians are engaged in a very real and a very serious conflict in this world. It's by means of his army of demons that Satan rules this world system and through which he exercises tyrannical control over unregenerate men as he rules as the prince of this world. Again, let me emphasize, Satan and his demon army are quite real. These spirit beings exercise tremendous supernatural power in this world. This power is limited only by God. The New Testament, as well as the Old Testament, clearly tells us of both the presence and the power of demons. We're informed that they are articulate. They have the power to bind, to make death, to blind, to torment, and to destroy. The Lord Jesus Christ very definitely recognized the reality of these demons and he described them as they are, spirit beings subservient to Satan himself. They are the messengers and co-workers of Satan, just as the righteous angels are the messengers and servants of God. On a number of occasions, the Lord Jesus Christ delivered men from demon possession by his spoken command, and on at least one occasion, he permitted the many demons which possessed the madman of Gadara to enter a herd of swine. Then the Lord stood and observed the swine as they bolted over a cliff into the sea, in a surge of self-destruction. Let's look at the scriptural passage from Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 13, which tells of this encounter. 
And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him, and cried with a loud voice, and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God, that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the demons besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about two thousand, and they were choked in the sea. This passage is quite articulate in its description of a real case of demon possession, and Mark gives us considerable information concerning the typical symptoms of this phenomenon. We are told that as the Lord stepped off of the boat in the land of the Gadarenes, he was met by a man with an unclean spirit. The scripture passage continues to refer to the alien powers possessing this man as unclean spirits, both singular and plural, until we come to verse 12 where we read, and all the demons besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. The word devils in the King James Version is an incorrect translation of the Greek word that means demons. So we know from this passage that the Bible describes demons as unclean spirits, and it sometimes uses the two words interchangeably. Secondly, we're told that this man of Gadara came out of the tombs, and that those tombs were where he had his dwelling. This directs our attention to another characteristic of demon personalities. They seem to have an affinity for the dead, and they often frequent burial grounds for the human dead. This should give us some insight into the reason why the living often seem to have an unnatural fear of cemeteries and tombs. Our spiritual nature senses the presence of these powers of evil, even if we do not admit to their reality. And those powers of evil do often make their local presence near the remains of the dead. Thirdly, we find that the demon-possessed man was given supernatural human physical strength and that he was actually capable of plucking apart chains and breaking fetters that would have completely restrained an ordinary man. It was impossible to control the demoniac by physical strength. In addition to his desire to be among the dead and his superhuman physical strength, we find the man was completely unclothed. We are not told this specifically in Mark's account of the incident, even though Mark does relate that after the demons were cast out, that the man was clothed and in his right mind. However, Luke's account of the same incident found in Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 36, does say that this man wear no clothes. This brings us to another characteristic of demon control and demon possession. Demons seem to have a magnified desire for nudity and sensualism. The divesting of himself of clothing by the afflicted one seems to be typical of the symptoms of demon possession. The man of Gadara had no control over his own body while possessed by the demon legion. In fact, his own personality was completely suppressed 
and the leader of the demons controlled all of the man's faculties. This spirit personality spoke through the man's vocal cords, but the personality of the one who communicated with the Lord was definitely that of the demon. Notice that the demon was drawn to the Lord and that he immediately recognized him as the Son of God. My time is almost gone for today. We'll continue with this series of messages on the next broadcast. Welcome to today's broadcast of the Bible Stands. It's so good to greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. I'm glad you've joined us for today's Bible study. Today we're continuing our study of the powers of darkness. This is a study of occultism as it's practiced in the world today. To open today's study, let me read Mark chapter 5, verses 5 through 7. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him, and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus? Thou son of the most high God, I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. In our consideration of the biblical teachings of the powers of darkness, we were reviewing the account of our Lord's encounter with the demoniac of Gadara that's found in the opening verses of Mark chapter 5. We've noted that this demon-possessed man dwelt among the tombs of the dead. Demons do seem to have an affinity for the areas where the bodily remains of human dead have been placed, and this seems to be the reason that many people tend to have an unnatural fear of cemeteries and graveyards. I think that our spiritual nature in some way senses the presence of these powers of darkness, and that is what produces this otherwise unexplained fear. We had also noted that this demoniac had supernatural physical strength. This also seems to be a classical symptom of demon possession. When a demon inhabits a human body, that spirit is in some way capable of imparting physical strength considerably beyond that possessed by the victim when he is in normal control of his own body. Another characteristic of demon possession that's brought out in this account is that of an affinity for nudity and sensualism. The demoniac of Gadara was naked, and while demon-possessed, this was his preferred state. After he was released from the power of the demon, he clothed himself. The desire to divest himself of clothing in public was no longer with him. Another point that comes out in Mark's account of this incident is the struggle that goes on between the spirit of the one possessed and the demon spirit for control of the mind and body. In Mark chapter 5 and verse 5 we read, And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. This seems to be the outward symptom of the tremendous inward struggle that was going on between the spirit of the possessed man and the alien spirit that had seized control. The struggle resulted in outward abuse of the man's own body and in inward misery to the man's soul and spirit. But when the Lord Jesus Christ appeared on the scene, the alien spirit within the man immediately recognized him as God the Son and as one who had power over him. Demons of the spirit world do recognize God in his power. The demon spirits within the demoniac of Gadara could see through the veil which had been placed about our Lord's divine glory, and there was no lack of recognition, as was the case with the men and women with whom the Lord came in contact each day of his earthly walk. In the presence of God, demons, 
as well as the angels of God, must bow down and worship. The power of God compelled the action that's described in verse 6. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. We're told in Scripture that all creatures in heaven, in the earth, and beneath the earth will bow down and worship the Son of God. This means the evil personalities, both angel and man, as well as the righteous personalities. The demons within this unfortunate gathering had no choice in their actions. The demon spirit that spoke through the man's voice recognized that the Lord Jesus Christ had full authority over himself and his companions. He recognized that continued possession of the unfortunate man was only possible with the Lord's permission. He, the demon, also recognized the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is his judge and that one day he, the Lord, is going to cast him and his companions into the lake of fire that was prepared for the devil and his angels. That is the reason for the outcry in verse 7. What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. The demon spirit recognized also that his time for imprisonment and torment had not yet come at the first advent of our Lord. But the Lord did have power to cast out the demon spokesman and his companions of that legion of darkness. That he did. However, the demon spirits have such desire to possess a body that they asked for permission to go into the herd of swine. The Lord granted that permission. However, those unclean animals preferred death to the presence of the demon spirits, and they destroyed themselves. Let me put a question before you. In the light of this supernatural revelation, can we really assume that the experiences revealed in the confessions of witches of past history were all merely hallucinations? Can it really be possible that the thousands who suffered tortures too horrible to describe died that way as confessed witches and warlocks merely because they were excited, or perhaps because all of the thousands of them were mentally unsound. Could a mere figment of the imagination prompt a lovely young girl of 16, and this actually happened during the Salem witch trials, to stand boastfully and proud before a court and calmly state that the devil had indeed seduced her and that he had returned to her every night for months? No, I don't think that we can come to that conclusion. This young girl knew full well that her confession would most surely result in her death by cruel torture, but she stuck to her story in spite of this. There are still written records of many witch trials that took place in various parts of Europe during the Middle Ages, and when these records are compared, it's found that there is a remarkable similarity between the stories that were told by confessed witches in England, Germany, France, Spain, and other European countries. Moreover, these stories correlate with stories that have come out of China, Africa, India, and South America. The details of some of the encounters with demon spirits in these widely removed points are just too similar to be dismissed as mere coincidence. And certainly, there was no possibility of collusion. The various testimonies from all parts of the world lead us to, un to the unmistakable conclusion that many of these encounters with alien spirit beings were absolutely real. Is it really possible that the large number of covens of witches and the large number of adherents to the satanic churches presently scattered across the United States are doing what they're doing for no reason other than to be different? Could we actually believe that they are receiving no power, no experience, no sensation, or no reward above the ordinary 
I really don't think that any thoughtful person, much less any Christian that believes in the divine inspiration of the Bible, would feel that this is likely. No, these advocates of witch covens and satanic churches have given themselves over to the powers of darkness, and they are experiencing contact with the supernatural. They are being given sensations and experiences that satisfy some of the lowest cravings of the flesh, but they are also being drawn further and further under the power of Satan and his demon hordes. The result is spiritual destruction to the one who participates, and that spiritual destruction is not long in coming. Dr. Hobart E. Freeman, in his expose on the subject of demonology and the occult entitled Angels of Light, makes the following statement. What are erroneously thought to be psychic powers latent within all men, which only need developing to bring them forth, are not forces within the individual at all. On the contrary, the powers of clairvoyance, precognition, telepathy, and other forms of extrasensory perception, ESP, occur as a result of an invasion of insidious spiritual forces from without, which move in and begin to function in and through that individual who opens himself to these dark powers by seeking psychic experiences and through his efforts to develop the powers of ESP or through involvement in any form of occultism. Therefore, parapsychologists, under the guise of advancing psychic research and knowledge, are encouraging young and old alike to experiment in the psychic realm in violation of the will of God and his express commands to the contrary for the purpose of heightening their alleged subconscious powers of clairvoyance, telepathy, and so forth. Apparently, such ones are oblivious to the dangers of emotional, psychic, and spiritual damage to those who open themselves thereby to the influence and control of the powers of darkness. The statement of Dr. Freeman's is, in a nutshell, the truth behind today's mad rush by many people right here in our own country to dabble in the occult. And it is dabbling with the occult, even when it goes under the names of psychic research and parapsychology in spite of the fact that there are many in the world today who would ridicule me for making such a statement, let me flatly declare that to experiment in the black arts, to dabble in the occult, even with what seems to be the most minor instruments and in the most minor way, is, open, is to open the doorway for the entrance into one's life of the powers of darkness. There definitely are demon spirits present in this world that are only waiting for the most insignificant invitation to enter the life of any human being who provides such an opportunity. To open the doorway just a crack is to bring in the presence of these demonic beings, and the result of their presence is mental oppression, mental depression, and spiritual degradation. Even Christians are not immune to the influence of these spirit beings if they disobey God and provide the slightest chink in their spiritual armor through which these forces of evil may enter. Any involvement with astrology, fortune-telling, Ouija board manipulation, water-witching, or just bringing oneself under the influence of a film like The Exorcist can and will open the way to involvement with Satan's demon army. If early minor involvement is not nipped in the bud, it will eventually lead to total possession by demonic forces. Let me again emphasize the New Testament, as well as the Old Testament, clearly tells us of both the presence and of the power of demons. We're informed that demon spirits are articulate, that they have the power to spiritually bind the victim, that they're able to cause physical problems such as to make blind and deaf, and that they have the power to torment and to destroy. The Lord Jesus Christ himself very definitely recognized the reality of these demons 
and he stated that they are spiritual beings who are subservient to Satan and who have supernatural power at their disposal. On a number of occasions, the Lord Jesus Christ delivered men from de demon possession by his spoken command. He has authority over demon spirits, and he has delegated this authority to those of his people who are his in this world. But in order to exercise this delegated authority, one must have appropriated the armor that is designated in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 17. I see that my time is almost gone for today. We'll continue with our study of the powers of darkness on the next broadcast. Thank you, and welcome to today's broadcast of the Independent Faith Ministry of the Bible Stands. It's so good to greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. I'm glad you've joined us for today's radio Bible study. We're continuing with our study of the powers of darkness. This is a study of the practice of occultism as it is practiced in the United States today. Let me open today's message by reading Deuteronomy Chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. If there arise among you a prophet, or a dreamer of dreams, and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them, thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet, or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God proveth you, to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul. These words of Moses provide us with the reason as to why God permits Satan and his horde of demons to display supernatural power in the form of lying wonders and thus deceive the unwary into going after the things of demon spirits. God permits Satan to test man. Satan and his demons do have at their disposal vast measures of supernatural power and the use of this power is limited only by God. Although Satan and his hordes cannot foretell the future precisely, they do have a tremendous store of knowledge concerning the past and the present, and with this kind of knowledge, they are able to achieve about an 80% accuracy in estimating the events of the future. It's demon power that stands behind many of the fortune tellers, the magicians, and the prophets of our day. We're faced with this question. Why have these things come upon us? For over a century and a half, we here in the United States seem to have a great deal of immunity to these insidious forces of evil. We were so well protected from such forces ourselves that many people in this so-called enlightened land began to scoff at the idea that such forces even existed. But in recent years, our immunity to the open display of such powers has rapidly waned, and today display of occult power is becoming commonplace. The answer lies in our national attitude toward God and in our individual relationships with the Lord Jesus Christ. For almost 175 years, our nation officially acknowledged an allegiance to God, a recognition of his sovereignty in national affairs, and a dependence upon him for our security and prosperity. The major percentage of our population, at least outwardly, professed a belief in God and an acceptance of the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ. Although there was a great deal that was only false profession, the percentage of genuine Christians who had truly put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior was quite high as compared to many nations of the world. One of the ministries of the Holy Spirit of God in this present age 
is the restraint of overt evil and the holding back of the powers of darkness. As long as the United States of America, as well as Canada and England and other so-called Christian nations, officially recognize the existence and the sovereignty of the true and living God, and as long as the percentage of true Christians in the overall population was relatively high, the Holy Spirit exercised considerable restraint over the powers of Satan. But when this situation underwent a distinct change soon after World War II, God the Holy Spirit began to withhold his restraining power. Today, our nation, as official government policy, has turned away from an acknowledgement of the existence and sovereignty of God. We have officially turned our allegiance to the God of materialism and the God of lust, and this God is Satan himself. Conversions to Christianity have not kept up with the birth rate, and as a result, the percentage of true, regenerated Christians within the total population has dropped to an all-time low level. What happens to a nation that officially denies any allegiance to God and then plunges with mad abandon into its pursuit of materialistic things and of lustful pleasures? We seem to be finding out each day as the powers of darkness continue to gain strength and to fill the vacuum left by the withdrawal of the restraining power of God's Holy Spirit. Jean Dixon, the prophetess, claims to be a devout Catholic woman. Her regular attendance at Mass and her constant references to herself as one who looks to God for her knowledge has won the confidence of millions who would have feared her powers not too many tens of years in the past. She claims to be a prophetess of God, and she has met many predictions of the future that have come amazingly true. In fact, it's reported that she has an accuracy record of about 85%. This has been good enough for many, and even though she uses the tools of astrology to help her in her predictions, she is today accepted by many as a true prophetess of God. But has she passed the test of Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 22? When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing falleth not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken, but the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously. It is not the 85% success rate that's to be used as the standard of evaluation, but rather it's the 15% failure rate. Jean Dixon does not have a 100% record of accuracy, and the scriptural standard declares that she is not a prophetess of God. But what about her amazing accuracy record? Are we to think that she simply guesses each time she makes a prediction, and that her guesses are correct 85% of the time? This is contrary to the laws of probability, and I think that we can only conclude that she does have some power that is beyond the ordinary. If she does have some supernatural power, and that power does not come from God, who is the source of it? Scripture makes it clear that there are only two sources of such supernatural power, God and Satan. If the power is not from God, then it must necessarily come from the other source. It originates in the powers of darkness. Many who are knowledgeable of the scriptures are extremely troubled when they read Jean Dixon's book of the vision that launched her career as a prophetess. She tells of a great serpent that slithered into bed with her, wrapped his body around hers, and gazed with wisdom and love into her eyes. In scripture, Satan is called the serpent. Nowhere in the Bible can one find that God gives wisdom and gifts through such a macabre visitation. But nevertheless, Jean Dixon is not short of devoted followers. Each morning, millions of people of the United States wrap up or grab up their newspapers, not because they're interested in the news, but rather because they're anxious to see what Jean Dixon has to reveal about their daily horoscopes. 
Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. This verse of Scripture, written by the Apostle Paul to the young minister Timothy, tells us specifically that the Holy Spirit of God has revealed that in the latter times of this age of grace, some men will depart from the truth of God's word. This departure will come about because these apostates will give heed to seducing spirits, and they will then follow after the doctrines of demons. We're warned that as this age wears on, the powers of darkness will exert greater and greater influence in the affairs of men. Seducing spirits refer to the lying spirits of Satan's army of wicked angels, as does also the term demons. Certainly in our day, we've seen this prediction of the Holy Spirit's come true. Never has there been a time in history when supposedly enlightened men have turned more rapidly from God's word to the lies of demon spirits than in this present century. First came false cults bringing doctrines that sometimes masquerade under the name of Christianity, yet having no resemblance to the teachings of God's Word. These cults led many thousands astray and trapped them in a system of belief that can only lead to an eternity in separation from God. Now, in these last several decades, the demon spirits themselves are demanding to be worshipped as gods, and we have seen many who were brought up in a background that is nominally Christian turn to the direct worship of these evil spirit beings covens of witches, churches of Satan, and other groups that openly and overtly worship evil spirits not only exist in our country, but are beginning to represent a measurable percentage of the population. Things are moving according to a master plan of the great prince of evil, Satan himself. Factors have established over the last several centuries that have at last focused on the tremendous swing away from the truth of God's word that we see going on today. The devil's own philosophies of uniformitarianism and evolution were introduced to that portion of the civilized world that could be called nominally Christian about two centuries ago. By these philosophies, men were taught not to believe in the supernatural. The material world is all that exists, according to this lie. However, men are the possessors of an eternal spirit, and that eternal spirit longs for fellowship. The philosophies of naturalism and materialism that men have come to accept have left a great void, a great vacuum in their makeup. They've turned from belief in God, but men still long for some link with the things that are beyond this materialistic world. Under this situation, men are quickly drawn to anything that offers evidence of a tie to the supernatural. And men are especially happy if the display of supernatural power is seen in an atmosphere that appeals to their natural, unregenerate, fleshly appetite. In our day, Satan and his hordes have begun to display supernatural power, and such a display is made in an atmosphere that not only permits man to fulfill his carnal lusts, but actually encourages it. As a result, human beings by the thousands are departing from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. The frustrations of life have assumed gigantic proportions in these latter days. Seemingly secure businessmen, government officials, and even religious leaders are included among those that are apparently facing insurmountable problems today. Multitudes of people are confused. They're gripped by terrible fear because they cannot see ahead and they cannot understand the chaos that exists in the world today. Men intuitively recognize that things cannot continue much longer at this mad headlong pace. Something has to give, and when it does, there will be an explosion of unprecedented proportions. 
It's because of this agonizing fear and the vacuum in man that has created, that has been created by his turning away from God's word that have caused thousands in our day to turn to the seducing spirits as they speak through fortune tellers, readers, and spiritist mediums. These people feel that they must have information about tomorrow, and they cannot get information that satisfies their longings from modern materialistic apostate religion as it's represented by much of professing Christianity. So they turn to Satan and the lies of his seducing spirits, and soon they're following after the doctrines of demons. My time is almost gone for today. We'll continue with our study of the powers of darkness on the next broadcast. To today's broadcast of the Independent Faith Ministry of the Bible Stands. It's so good to greet you once again in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. I'm glad you've joined us for today's radio Bible study. Today we're continuing with our study of the powers of darkness. This is a study of occultism as it's spreading so much in the world today. Let me open today's message by reading 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. The apostle Peter penned this warning to Christians in the closing chapter of his first epistle, and he did not intend it to be just a figurative expression. We who know the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior are engaged in a very real and very serious warfare with Satan, the prince of demons, and with all of his demonic horde. Satan is a real spirit personality. His demons are real spirit personalities, and they are present in the sphere of this earth. Their avowed purpose is to oppose God in his work of redemption and to set up a kingdom of evil in this world. And in our day, we are witnessing a renewed and greatly intensified effort on the part of this demonic horde. The restraining power of the Holy Spirit of God has been partially withdrawn. And today we can begin to see what terrible power Satan and his demons do have at their disposal. Satan is as a roaring lion, walking about seeking whom he may destroy. His power extends deep into the realm of the supernatural. The observant Christian should be able to discern many of the elements of Satan's strategy as he wages his battle for the souls of men that has been so intensified in our day. First, he created a spiritual vacuum in the hearts of men. Beginning almost two centuries ago, he began to build up the great lie of scientific rationalism that has since swept over a major portion of our world. The basic hypothesis of scientific rationalism is that there is no such thing as the supernatural. The natural law, say the rationalists, is capable of explaining all the phenomena of the universe. We who have the advantage of the scientific knowledge of our day now realize that belief in the supernatural came about only because of the ignorance of our unsophisticated ancestors. By this philosophy, Satan turned millions of human beings into materialists and, as a consequence, the aspirations of all these millions were focused on the material things of this world only. The philosophy of our day, which has grown up from the concepts of the materialists of this age, is well stated in a popular television commercial. You only go around once in life. You have to reach for all the gusto you can get. This philosophy is also stated in the words of the materialistic rich man of the Lord's story in Luke chapter 12. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, 
drink, and be merry. But man has an eternal spirit that's designed to commune with God. The philosophy of materialism may satisfy him outwardly, but the fallen spirit of the unregenerate man is restless. Although he may tell himself that there's nothing beyond the natural, there is a part of man that is only satisfied by the contact with the supernatural. The spiritual vacuum in the heart of the materialistic, natural man is only too eager to fill itself from any source of supernatural reality. And it is into this void that Satan and his demons are today prepared to pour spiritual poison. Satan has created a vacuum that needs filling, and he has engineered a world situation that intensifies the emptiness of this vacuum. The natural man who has any awareness of the condition of our world today realizes that this globe is beset with apparently insurmountable problems. Multitudes are terribly fearful because they cannot see ahead. They cannot understand the chaos that exists in the world today. They realize that the world is like a giant machine that's out of control, and it continues to run faster and faster until it tears itself to pieces. It's because of the spiritual vacuum in the heart of man that, when faced with this gnawing fear, drives them to ones who profess to have powers beyond the ordinary. Men begin to flock to astrologists and fortune tellers and spiritist mediums. They feel that they must have information about tomorrow, and they refuse to go to the only source where such information is revealed by God himself in his word. When men submit themselves to the realm of the occult, Satan and his demons are only too willing and too able to offer a display of supernatural power. And for all that Satan gives, he takes back many fold. Although Satan and his kingdom cannot actually see into the future, they have a tremendous knowledge of the present. And with this kind of input, it's easy to make projections into the future that are accurate about 85% of the time. So information that often does come true is provided. The man who consulted the occultic medium is impressed. He's ready to take the next step not realizing that even the first step has resulted in the demonic world gaining a degree of control of his personality. The individual involved does not really know the source of the power that was displayed. Most men of the world assume that everything that is of the supernatural comes from God. But Satan, through his deceit, has gained another victim. Today, Satan has at his disposal tools that were completely unknown at the first part of this century. Modern technology has produced radio, motion pictures, and television. In the years immediately following World War II, especially beginning about the mid-50s and intensifying in the 60s, many people of God began to notice that insidious forces were at work in the entertainment media. One of the early works that began to promote the powers of darkness in a favorable light to the American public was a Hollywood production, billed as a comedy, but that in actuality was a promotion of witchcraft was the film Bell, Book, and Candle. Most people of our country thought of this film in the light of just another Hollywood fantasy, yet it accomplished its purpose in opening the minds of entertainment-mad Americans to accepting more entertainment promotional material for the powers of darkness. Soon television shows began to pick up the theme. The 1960s saw the beginning of two long-running comedy series which promoted the idea of magic in an acceptable vein. Samantha, the pretty witch of the show Bewitched, charmed her way into the hearts of Americans. And Jeannie of the comedy series I Dream of Jeannie also did her part to promote the supernatural in a delightfully acceptable vein.
Bewitched and Genie soon made witches, if not witchcraft, seem charming and something to be desired. Many volumes giving instruction for the practice of witchcraft soon began to appear in respectable bookstores and on the newsstands. Americans began to buy these by the thousands. Fortune-telling, consulting mediums, and astrology, which are all a part of the promotion of the powers of darkness, soon became a mad rage. Men, women, and young people who had never opened the cover of a Bible turned to these things by the thousands as they dabbled in the occult, and Satan took his due. He began to influence and then to control the thinking powers of those who had dabbled, and such individuals were soon driven into a deeper and deeper hatred of God and of God's Word. Moral values began to crumble, and those who turned to the occult soon were driven to complete moral and spiritual ruin. The entertainment media became more and more overtly turned toward the powers of darkness. Television was satisfied with Twilight Zone in the 1950s, but this gave way to Dark Shadows in the 1960s and even more open promotion of the powers of darkness in the 1970s and the 1980s. Motion pictures began to openly blaspheme God and to promote direct worship of Satan. In 1968, the film Rosemary's Baby showed serious Satan worship on the entertainment screen. America now has films like The Exorcist, and this film actually opens the minds of viewers to the influence of the occult. In our day, we're seeing thousands of the population of our nation turn to open practice of witchcraft, spiritism, and Satan worship. Devotees of witchcraft and Satanism call their practice the old religion. And with this designation, I can wholeheartedly agree. Indeed, it is old. It's very old. The records of history are not lacking in material that lets us trace devilism back to ancient Babylon and even beyond, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. It must first be clearly understood that dabbling in the occultic arts in any form definitely is Satanism. And Satanism is a direct, overt rebellion against the living God and His Word. The devil realizes that a direct frontal attack is not always the best way to win a battle, and being a cunning enemy, he sometimes poses as an angel of light. Satan's strategies against man are devious. If you recall, his first assault against the human race was with that subtle question that cast doubt on the integrity of God's word. Yea, hath God said? And after that seed had begun to sprout in Eve's mind, a few moments later, Satan actually called God's word a lie. Ye shall not surely die. The pattern of Satan's operation has not changed since the serpent beguiled Eve in the Garden of Eden. The spiraling growth of Satanism and the tremendous increase in the influence of occultic power can only be checked by the restraining power of God's Holy Spirit. And this restraining power will only be applied when men begin to realize the extreme spiritual, moral, and even physical dangers of turning to Satan and experiencing the supernatural power of his horde of demons. It has been well said that Satan's greatest masterpiece of deceit has taken place in this modern world where he has convinced vast numbers of enlightened human beings that he and his demonic hordes do not exist. Consequently, many people of today are not afraid to experiment with the occult. They think it's but a harmless pastime. Or they think of it as a science and give it a name like extrasensory perception research or parapsychology. 
there has never been a time in history when there was greater need for the people of God to speak out loudly and clearly against the dangers of experimentation in occultism. I see that my time is almost gone for today. We'll continue with our study of the powers of darkness on the next broadcast. Greetings in the highest name under heaven, the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Welcome to today's broadcast of the Independent Faith Ministry of the Bible Stands. I'm glad you've joined us for today's radio Bible study. We're continuing our study of the powers of darkness. This is a study of the occultic workings of Satan in the world today. Let me open today's broadcast by reading 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and the doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from foods which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. As we continue with our study of the powers of darkness, I think we need to remind ourselves of these prophetic words of the Apostle Paul. We've seen Paul's prophecy come to pass on a colossal scale in these last several decades. Paul has said that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. There was never a time in history that the world has seen this happen on the scale that's taking place today. Men, women, and young people have begun experimentation in the occult that has reached fantastic levels right here in our own enlightened nation. Astrology, Ouija board manipulation, spiritism, spiritist seances are actually held in the speech classes of some of our modern high schools. Witchcraft and direct Satan worship are now practiced by a sizable percentage of our population. The restraining power of God the Holy Spirit is being gradually withdrawn. And all around us we see the results of this kind of experimentation. Within just the past 10-year period, we have experienced tremendous increases in crimes of violence, physical lust, and deceit in high places. We've seen moral depravity stain every segment of our society. We have suicides in numbers never before known. We have wars and rumors of wars. There's been a fantastic increase in homosexuality. Men all over the country are beset with fear, worry, and anxiety. We've seen the denial not only of Satan's existence, but of the existence of God himself by members of the so-called clergy. In almost every school in our once Christian nation, we have the express or subtle denial of the existence of God, while at the same time we find courses offered in witchcraft and extrasensory perception. We've seen a rapid increase in diseases that defy the skills of our medical men. We have psychic disorders in unprecedented numbers. And certainly all of us are aware of the increase in drug addiction and in alcoholism. Most of us have become aware of the presence of genuine cases of demon possession in our society. Even though psychiatrists often classify these cases as schizophrenia and other forms of mental disorder, the Bible believer can detect the exact symptoms of demon possession that are described in the New Testament. Look at the true story of the three faces of Eve that was made into a popular emotion picture in the 1960s. The malady of one person with multiple personalities, each having a distinct name along with distinct mannerisms and distinct abilities of his own, 
is nothing but the classic affliction of demon possession. When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that uses divination, or an observer of time, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. This passage of scripture from Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 9 through 12, is a warning given to the children of Israel through their great lawgiver Moses. This chosen nation of God was about to enter into the land of the Canaanites, a land that had been thoroughly polluted by the abominable practices of this wicked, demon-worshipping people. The Canaanites had fallen completely into the hands of the powers of darkness, and the practice of the black arts was commonplace among all of the people. God knew that his people were to be placed in contact with a people that were so polluted that the only recourse was to wipe them, the Canaanites, off the face of the earth. And he also knew that his own people were to be exposed to the influence of these same demon spirits that had found a home for themselves in the land of the Canaanites. So Jehovah God said, When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. God absolutely forbids his people to dabble in the occultic arts. Behind all of these arts stand Satan and his demon horde, the only source of supernatural power other than God himself. To dabble with the occult is to expose oneself to the direct onslaught of these wicked spirit beings. Satan has power to give, but he also has power to control and to take away. When one experiments with the occult, he's asking a favor of those powers that stand in opposition to God and to God's will. Those powers are willing to grant that favor, but for all things granted, they exact a price from the one to whom the favor is granted. The favor may be knowledge beyond that which is available through the normal senses, or it may be a physical healing, or it may be wealth or power. Satan has the power to grant all of these things. But once the favor is granted, Satan also has the power to oppress, to control, and to possess. When one turns to the occult arts for gain of any kind, then that one begins to undergo change. First, he completely loses interest in God's word and the things of God. He even becomes openly hostile and sometimes violently belligerent to anything or anyone who speaks of God or the Lord Jesus Christ. His morals decay rapidly. He becomes mentally oppressed and he often becomes wicked and sadistic. Unless the power of Satan is broken by the Lord Jesus Christ, that one who trifled with the black arts will soon reach spiritual shipwreck. God's warning, penned by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 9 through 12, thoroughly condemns every department of the black arts. One who makes his son or daughter to pass through fire is one who calls upon the power of Satan for judgment and to bring blessing upon himself and his family. This refers to certain rites of demon worship that were practiced in Canaan and that are still practiced in satanic blood cults today. An observer of times is an astrologer. The use of divination is the use of certain implements to obtain knowledge that's not available through the natural senses. Ouija board manipulation and water witching are two examples of divination. An enchanter is one that uses the powers of Satan to cast spells. A witch, as it's used here, refers to one who tells the future by card reading, by crystal ball gazing, by palmistry, and so forth. 
In other words, a fortune teller is in view. A charmer is one who practices healing or protection or personal magnetism enhancement by the use of charms and amulets. A consulter of familiar spirits is a medium who lets controlling spirits speak through herself or himself for the purpose of dispensing knowledge that's beyond the ordinary. A wizard is one who practices what we call today witchcraft, that is healing and, enhance, and enhancement or enchantment by magic power. A necromancer is one who purports to contact the spirits of the departed dead, that is, a spiritist medium. In recent years, a so-called medical practice out of China has received a great deal of publicity in this country. In fact, offices and clinics that follow this method of treatment and healing have been set up all over the country. I'm speaking of acupuncture, the Chinese practice of inserting needles at designated points of the human body in order to heal specific physical disorders. The Chinese practice of acupuncture is not a product of modern Chinese medicine. It comes from ancient times, and the use of this treatment in China can be traced back over several millennia. There's no doubt that the acupuncture treatment is effective in a physical way, and some rather remarkable things have been reported concerning the practice. Some of our country's top medical men and leading biologists have watched Chinese doctors perform major surgery using acupuncture rather than anesthesia. There are a number of documented reports from a variety of countries that acupuncture has been used successfully in the treatment of ulcers, colitis, rheumatism, arthritis, asthma, eczema, hypertension, diabetes, urinary tract infections, anxiety, and also blindness and deafness. There's no doubt that the acupuncture techniques does have powerful effect upon the treatment of physical disorder. The thing that we should not overlook, however, is that there are also documented cases in which the open practice of witchcraft has definitely been effective in the treatment of all of these listed disorders. Keep in mind that the world of experimental science is at an utter loss to explain how acupuncture works. The Chinese explanation is that our bodies contain two life forces known as yin and yang. Supposedly, the insertion and manipulation of the needles in any one of several hundred specific points interrupts the flow of one life force and or increases the flow of the other to correct any malfunction and restore well-being. As a physicist, let me testify that physical scientists have never been able to detect or measure any such forces in the body, and if they exist, they are in the domain of the spiritual rather than the physical. This immediately tells us that something in the acupuncture technique takes us into the realm of the supernatural. The Bible does not authorize us to use such a puncture technique to call upon supernatural forces for physical healing. Remember, there are only two sources of supernatural power, God and Satan. Acupuncture would seem to be a technique associated with the powers of darkness. Dr. John L. Nevius was a Christian missionary to China between the years of 1855 and 1890. During this period of time, he dealt with overt outward manifestations of demon power over and over again. In his book, Demon Possession, published in 1895, he makes the following statements. Let us now note the different methods adopted to cast out the evil spirits from the demoniacs. Doctors are called to do it. They use needles to puncture the tips of the fingers, the nose, the neck. Is acupuncture a medical treatment or is it an occult practice? The answer seems obvious. I see that my time is almost gone for today. We'll conclude this study on our next broadcast. In
Let me greet you in the highest name under heaven, the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Welcome to today's broadcast of the Independent Faith Ministry of the Bible Stands. I'm glad you've joined us for today's radio Bible study. Today we'll conclude our study of the powers of darkness. This is a study of the occultic workings in the world today. Let me first read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 through 12. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now restraineth will restrain until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe the lie, that they might all be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. In these verses, the Apostle Paul provides us with some information concerning the coming man of sin and that one's program of deceit that's to be foisted on the world at the end of this age. I think that the information given here provides us with an insight for interpretation of certain mysterious phenomena that have been observed all over the world for the last three decades. I'm referring to the so-called UFO sightings and the reported encounters with space beings. Let's first spend a few moments in this Second Thessalonians passage so that we can have a better understanding of what the Apostle Paul has revealed concerning the man of sin and his program. The Apostle says, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now restraineth will restrain until he be taken out of the way. By these words we're told that the unholy system of Satan, the system that the Apostle Paul designates the mystery of iniquity, that system which is to eventually bring about the world political and religious system which will be controlled by Satan himself through the world dictator, was already busily at work in Paul's day. And by this expression, the mystery of iniquity, Paul refers to the Babylonian mystery cult, an organized political and religious system that had existed perpetually since the time of Nimrod and the Tower of Babel. This system was very much at work in Paul's day, and it was through the pagan religious cults that were a part of this system that Paul received most of the opposition to his spread of the gospel. This organized system of man, empowered and directed by Satan and his horde of demons, has continued to exist right on down through the centuries to this present time. Next, the Apostle Paul tells us why Satan's world system, the mystery of iniquity, has not already gained control over the entire world. Only he who now restraineth will restrain until he be taken out of the world. He who now restraineth is the Holy Spirit of God, who is currently present in the earth in his special ministry to the church, the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the facets of the Holy Spirit's ministry is the restraint of the spread of overt evil. As long as God's Holy Spirit remains in his present indwelling ministry, the total spread of the mystery of iniquity is not possible. However, Paul tells us that this restraint of overt evil will be removed when he be taken out of the way. When the church is taken out of the world at the time of our Lord's appearing, the present special ministry of God's Holy Spirit will come to an end. This seems to be the time referred to in this passage, and that time at which the special indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit ends will also be the time that his restraining power is totally removed. And then shall that wicked one be revealed. When the Holy Spirit's restraining power is totally removed at the time of our Lord's coming for his church, 
Then Satan's man, the one who's referred to as the beast out of the sea in Revelation chapter 13, can be brought out in full view of the world over which he's about to take control. This man, who is the one in complete control of the organized mystery of iniquity, will step forward as a false Christ, one who claims to be divine, and one who's able to solve all the world's problems. But notice how Paul describes this man. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. This man of sin will have at his disposal all of the supernatural power of Satan. He'll be able to work signs and miracles, which Paul refers to as lying wonders and he'll be able to fool the residents of this world with his claims of deity. He'll come forward with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. It doesn't seem reasonable that this man of evil could bring his great lie before the world without some prior preparation and expect it to be accepted in such wholesale fashion. The world has to be prepared for the time of his revealing. I believe that the world is now witnessing a period of intense preparation for the time of the tribulation. I think that this world has already begun to witness the power and signs of lying wonders that are currently being displayed as a part of Satan's master plan of world conquest. Beginning in the late 1940s and extending on through the 1950s and the 1960s and through the 1970s and even into the 1980s, hundreds of persons have reported seeing mysterious flying objects in the sky. These reports were not just from people of the United States, but they came also from Canada, from South America, from Europe, from Asia, and from Africa. Many of these objects seemed to have the shape of a saucer, and the common name for them soon became flying saucers. However, in this country, they became known officially as unidentified flying objects, or UFOs. The widespread reports of the sightings of these mysterious UFOs in the late 1940s and early 1950s soon caused many to take a renewed interest in early historical reports of similar sightings. And it was found that historians have recorded the sightings of such mysterious flying objects for hundreds of years. The earliest sightings came long before there was any such thing as man-made aircraft. The record seems to substantiate the fact that the phenomenon of mysterious flying objects in the sky is now not new but that in recent years, this phenomenon has greatly intensified and has become quite widespread. Many persons soon began to believe that the mysterious unidentified flying objects were spacecraft from another world or from other worlds. The idea that an advanced civilization from another planet somewhere out in space was sending spacecraft to explore our world soon caught hold. And as sightings continued through the years on up to the present, Many have begun to feel that this idea is a proven fact. Soon after the initial reports of the 1940s and the 1950s, in which flying saucers were seen flying in the air in many assorted ways, reports began to come in that these craft had been seen on the ground. A number of reliable witnesses reported observing such landings, and in some of the incidents, there was more than one witness. In fact, in several cases, certain indentations in the earth at the site of such reported landings bore witness to the fact that some heavy object had indeed rested there, and these indentations remained to be seen and measured by professional investigators. Witnesses also began to report that creatures had been seen exiting and entering the landed unidentified flying objects. There were several well-publicized incidents where men and women 
were supposedly taken aboard the landed UFO, that they were given what were interpreted to be medical examinations, and then they were set free. Currently, there are those who report that they have actually established communication with the inhabitants of the UFOs. The communication method is by mental telepathy, and in the messages exchanged, these UFO operators do claim to be beings from other planets far out in the galaxy. They claim that they have established advanced civilizations far beyond those of our Earth, and that they have solved all the problems of strife and warfare, and that they are now here to help man with his problems. All about us today, we have seen the various themes of biblical prophecy focusing at a point that does not appear to be too far in the future. It definitely seems that we are living in that period of time that the biblical writers referred to over and over again as the latter days and the last days. If this is so, then we are living right on the threshold of the appearance of this false Christ and this man of sin who has received so much attention in the Holy Scriptures. But it seems incredible that the world, as it has been prepared over the last two centuries, could be about ready to accept one who comes and claims that he is a god. We're living in a technological world, a world that's been conditioned by modern theories of uniformity and evolution into the belief that there is nothing beyond the natural that all things in the universe are explainable within the bounds of what has been become known as the natural law. How can a world that openly rejects the very idea of the existence of the supernatural suddenly receive a man who comes on the scene claiming to be divine? I think that in our day we're seeing this question answered. This coming man of sin is going to come in the guise of a technological god. A great majority of the people of our country today, and also of the other countries of the civilized world, are convinced that our planet is being visited by alien beings from another world, and that the technology and development of that world is far more advanced than the technology and development of our world. Many are now ready to believe that such things have achieved immortality, and that they are capable of performing almost any feat with their highly advanced technology. In other words, these beings have evolved themselves into gods, and each one is divine. In fact, in our day, books such as Chariots of the Gods propound the idea that the religions of our world are based on the earth visits of these alien space beings in ancient times. Our Bible, especially the Old Testament, is presented as having been written by men of the earth who had direct contact with the early space beings. In other words, a technological lie has been founded upon the UFO sightings of our day, and many men and women who will not accept the claims of the Bible at face value will accept the existence of these deified space beings. And many are already looking toward these highly advanced creatures from outer space to show the world how to solve all of its problems and thus form an advanced utopia on this planet. So I think we can begin to see the general gist of the lie that's to place Satan's man on a world throne. The basis of the great lie is the theory of evolution. Men today accept the fact that their world and themselves are just products of blind processes of evolution. If our world and its inhabitants have come about by chance rather than design, then it's logical that other worlds and other populations have come about by the same laws of chance. Now perhaps the chance occurrences that brought about these other worlds took place several million years earlier than those of our world. This provides a basis for believing that creatures exist which are several million years higher on the evolutionary scale, and so we can now believe in the existence of technological gods that are going to solve the problems of the earth. The members of Satan's demon army have the power to stage the flying saucer incidents that are common occurrences today.
I'm convinced that they are doing it. it. One fact that lends powerful support to this conclusion is that no hard evidence, that is, no remains of saucer hardware and so forth, has ever been found after a saucer sighting. This lends support to the fact that the appearances are of a spiritual rather than a physical nature. We're seeing the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. I see by the old clock on the wall that it's time to close this broadcast. I've only... been listening to the Bible Stand, an independent faith ministry conducted as a worldwide radio missionary outreach by Bible expositor Wayne Carver. This program is dedicated to the upholding of the doctrines of the full verbal inspiration, the total inerrancy, and the absolute authority of the Holy Bible. The messages presented each day are available on cassette tape to those who support this ministry with their tax-deductible gifts and offerings. The Bible Stands is totally dependent upon the contributions of our radio listeners for its continuance on your station. You are invited to send your gifts and offerings, your request for cassette tapes, and your Bible questions to Wayne Carver in care of the Bible Stands radio broadcast. The Bible Stands is a faith ministry totally dependent upon the financial support of God's people for its continuing outreach. The program is sponsored by the Bible Stands Radio Broadcast, 6510 Spring Rose, San Antonio, Texas, 78249.